welcome to Inclusive Occupations, sharing stories of not just being invited to the party, but dancing. I'm your host, Savita Sundar. I'm a school-based occupational therapist. This podcast is a space for OTs and others who work with children and youth in education to be informed, inspired, and empowered to create an inclusive community for the students they serve. Welcome, dear listeners, to our episode number 11, Changing Perspectives, Part 2. I am so delighted to have Sam Drayson, founder and executive director of Changing Perspectives, back on the show today. Sam, in fact, was the very first guest of Inclusive Occupations. When I started this podcast series, I had this not-so-clever idea of keeping my episodes really brief and under 15 minutes, and very soon I realized that it was impossible to capture the depth and richness of all that my guests have to offer. So, welcome again, Sam. I really want our listeners to learn more about not just changing perspectives, but also gain clarity on many issues in this space of inclusion for children with disabilities in schools. Can you share with us your journey of when, why, and how you started changing perspectives? Sure. Well, thanks again, Savita, for inviting me back uh, on, and I'm, I'm more than happy to share. Um, so I started changing perspectives, gee, about seven years ago now, and it was uh, a few aha moments that I had both personally and professionally at the time. Um, so I can just share a couple of those stories with you today. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I was a teacher, I was teaching uh, third grade at the time, and I realized that my classroom was really diverse and that the expectation on me as an educator was to create an inclusive learning environment for all students. It was to support both academic as well as social emotional well-being of all students. And I didn't really feel like I was given appropriate tools and resources and supports to fulfill those objectives uh, for me as a general ed teacher at the time. So I started thinking about, you know, what sort of programming or resources would have been helpful to me as an educator and how might I be able to create some sort of organization that is mission driven uh, in providing those supports and resources to others in the space of education. So that was kind of the general idea. And then two specific things happened. Hmm. One um, was that the book Wonder by R.J. Palacio um, became very popular. And personally, I was born with a very similar craniofacial anomaly to hmm. that of the main character in that story. And so a few teacher friends got wind of that and asked me to come and present to their students um, about my life stories. We called it Bringing Wonder to Life. It was a one hour um, presentation that I created sharing about my life story with uh, a craniofacial anomaly and hearing loss and really talking with the students about my personal journey uh, and experience with that. And at the end of those one hour presentations that I did in classrooms and for parents and community events, uh, everyone said to me, this is great, but we want more. 
And it kind of reinforced for me that the one and done or the one hit wonders uh, are great at sparking conversation, but mm -hmm. they don't always achieve long-term change or impact. So I started mm -hmm. thinking about that. If my one hour story about my life could have uh, X impact, what would a whole organization dedicated to this work have as impact? So that was one thing that was happening. Another sort of aha moment I had is... Um, now, this is all in Vermont, right? You were teaching in Vermont? I was in Vermont at the time, yep. And those presentations started in Vermont, but about six months in, I started to get calls nationwide. Um, mm -hmm. So I had kind of a crazy schedule where I was teaching and traveling simultaneously mm -hmm. across the nation. Um, and I've done those presentations to, to more than 50,000 students in, in uh, I think, more than 15 states now. Wow. Okay. Um, so an another sort of aha moment that I had was uh, one of the years, the, the same year that I was teaching where I started traveling and doing all of these personal presentations was that um, I had a student in my class who was diagnosed with apraxia. Um, so she was third grade, but nonverbal. And one day I was talking to her mom and we thought it might be a good idea to share with the rest of the students a little bit about this classmate. And so we gathered the students in a circle at morning meeting and gave some ground rules about, you know, how what we share is going to be kind of personal and it's going to stay within our classroom community, et cetera. And um, we had all the students there together, as well as this individual student with apraxia mm -hmm. and the special educator, the paraeducator and the mom all joined us that morning as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, we began sharing with the students a little bit about their classmate and her differences and how she's learning things at a different rate, how she communicates um, in a different way than they do. Mm -hmm. And then we opened it up to any questions. And the students were very hesitant at first to ask any questions because we've been kind of conditioned to not talk about differences in our schools. Mm -hmm. And finally, one student raised her hand and asked, well, what does she like to do on the weekends? Mm -hmm. And the mom said, well, she likes to ride her bike and she likes to watch TV and she likes to play with her sister. And another student raised her hand and said, well, what TV shows does she like? And the mom listed a few popular TV shows at the time. And then a third student raised their hand and said, well, I like those TV shows too. Mm -hmm. Three quarters of the remaining conversations, Savita, were the classmates making connections to the way that they were the same as the student rather than different. Uh. So thinking about that, thinking about my own experiences traveling and sharing my life journey, and also thinking just about the need for more comprehensive and customizable resources to support educators in, um, you know, creating authentically inclusive learning environments, talking to students about disabilities, and also supporting the social emotional well-being of all students mm -hmm. was really that aha moment and that wake-up call for me of, all right, what can I do um, to, to bring this work to more folks? And, and that's how I started changing perspectives. Interesting. So at that point... You, there wasn't anything else out there. There were Dude. very, you know, when I found in my research is that there were very isolated programs. So programs that mm -hmm. worked just within a specific school district or just within a specific county or just within a specific state. 
Um, there were programs that only did the one day wonders, right? So programs mm -hmm. where staff from an organization would go into a school and conduct uh, programming. There were programs that would only provide support to schools uh, with for certain grade levels, like they only targeted middle school. Mm -hmm. And I felt like there really needs to be a program out there that's holistic, pre-K through high school, a program out there that provides curriculum, that provides parent resource, that provides educator trainings. Mm -hmm. um, so I found that there were programs that um, offered bits and pieces of what I wanted changing perspectives to do but nothing that had really brought all of those pieces together. So can you tell us about the range of services that are offered by Changing Perspectives? Sure. Um, so, you know, I think I mentioned this in our last um, podcast, but I think it's really important if we want to change the climate, the culture of a school, of our, of our society in general, we need to provide support, resources, and education to all of the stakeholders in a given community. And when I think about schools, I think about students are stakeholders, mm -hmm. um, educators, administrators, specialists, anyone who works with students is a stakeholder and families and parents are stakeholders. So mm -hmm. at Changing Perspectives, we've really tried to create a suite of resources and programs to educate, empower and support all of those stakeholders. So Changing Perspectives offers pre-K through high school curriculums. Mm -hmm. We have social emotional learning curriculums and disability awareness curriculums. We mm -hmm. offer educator professional development trainings. Mm -hmm. We offer coaching to educators in more of a one-on-one -on -one or small group setting. And then we offer family and parent engagement opportunities. Wow, so the whole spectrum of services. Exactly. And one of the things too, yeah. And one of the things too, that I would emphasize is that we really work in partnership with schools. So we offer that spectrum, or I like to almost think of it like an a la carte menu of programs and services, but schools can really pick and choose as to what they'd like to engage with us in based on what's going to really be meaningful, relevant, and help them with the initiatives that they feel like they need to work on. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful because when it comes to culture change, you really have to weave into the existing, um, you know, programs and their styles and whatever has worked for that particular school. So I think this is, yeah, this is great. So where do you stand now over the seven years you've been doing this? Where does Changing Perspectives stand now? Sure. So, um, you know, the first year that we... Uh, launched the organization. We worked with 12 schools just in kind of our immediate founding area, which is the Northeast Vermont, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, this year, uh, we're just wrapping up the school year and we've worked with more than 100 schools throughout the country from coast to coast, um, impacting roughly 30,000 students. Um, so we've definitely seen growth in both the geographic um, reach of our work, the impacts in terms of students and educators, um, and just kind of the, the greater uh, interest in our work. That's amazing. So 100 schools are now implementing changing perspectives across the country. Correct. Yeah, we're that's always, you know, and I think one of the things that's kind of come out of 
this year with the pandemic mm -hmm. is realizing that with online interfaces, online platforms, that this work uh, can really be implemented anywhere. Um, this year, we also worked with um, a school in Sydney, Australia. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, we worked with a school in Dresden, Germany. Um, so it really is relevant to students globally. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that we have been able to curate our programming uh, online makes it accessible wherever somebody is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a need across the world, I would think. So that's awesome. So my next question for you, Sam, is social emotional learning and its importance in student success is quite well appreciated in education, right? How do you relate disability awareness to social emotional learning? Definitely. So I think of disability awareness as kind of like a concrete way to inherently teach social emotional learning. We know that some of the key components of social emotional learning are self-awareness, learning about ourselves, what are our strengths, what are our needs. Mm -hmm. um, we know that um, self-management is also a piece of uh, social emotional learning, which addresses self-advocacy skills, self-efficacy. Uh, we know that social awareness, empathy, perspective taking, under understanding how others experience the world, um, mm -hmm. learning how to ask for help, learning how to offer help. All of those concepts, all of those standards can uh, correlate under the umbrella of disability awareness. Disability awareness gives us an opportunity to embed social emotional learning mm -hmm. into something that's incredibly concrete, learning about others and their differences, their strengths and their needs, mm -hmm. learning about how uh, a student can support classmates, recognizing what are my strengths? How can I help someone else? Um, recognizing that we all experience the world through our own perspective, our own eyes. Um, and also, you know, another piece too that I think we often forget about is the idea of cultural competence um, and mm -hmm. valuing diversity and that disability really is um, an opportunity to value diversity. Um, in a way that's prevalent uh, in really most classrooms across the globe. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I love how you put it out there, you know, just a very concrete concept for, for, for students to notice differences and acknowledge it and then become self-aware and see and, 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 and appreciate what's not like them. So that's, yeah, that's very, very true. And I can see that. So, Sam, you know, when I go to, when I take your program to the schools that I work in and, and I um, talk about the curriculum, one of the questions that people have or a concern that people have is that parents may not want their child's disability to be put out there. They kind of fear stigmatization. So, I mean, what is what are your insights? I mean, I, I'd love to hear it from you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's such a great point and it's something that I hear a lot and you know mm -hmm. oftentimes we find that actually students are much more accepting than adults are yes. um, and that it's adults own um, fears and inhibitions that limit this work being spread um, and that's one of the reasons why at Changing Perspectives we really have 
put together a suite of parent engagement opportunities because we want to engage parents and we want to educate parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so w- what I found is that so much of it is helping parents understand um, the value of doing this, helping students uh, or parents understand what are going to be the positive outcomes for their students with disabilities if we're able to open up the doorway for these conversations that I think parents oftentimes go to worst case scenario, right? Like Mm -hmm. if we talk about it, my child's going to be the poster child for disability, or if we talk about it, my child is going to get teased that oftentimes Mm -hmm. from a place Mm -hmm. of kind of protection or fear of what the negative outcomes would be rather than looking at it from the perspective of, well, what are the positive outcomes going to be? And more often than not, the positive outcomes are going to outweigh the negative outcomes. Yep, that is very true. Very true. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I, I've done, a, a, I do a number of different parent trainings. And one of the trainings I do is specifically for parents of students with disabilities mm-hmm. um, about all of this. And one of the things, one of the bullet points I put in the, the presentation is something along the lines of, you know, support your child in taking risks, even if you are nervous about it, right? <laughs> that most, yeah. more often than not, the kid is actually excited and engaged and wants their classmates to talk about their difference, but it's the teacher, it's the parent who's more reserved about it. And so as parents, we need to work with them to help them kind of think about how they can support their child's risk-taking rather than um, let their own fears limit uh, disability awareness happening in their child's classroom and school. I love it. And I think I am just right now thinking it might be a great way to bring the program in, just having a a parent um, training program or having you speak to the parents. And then that's probably the greatest fear of our admins right what are parents going to do and then bring it from from there take it in from from there i think that's a, a great approach I, I i i'm just getting this aha moment right now as i'm talking to you to do that in my school so that's great so um the next question i have is you know when you talk about disabilities and creating awareness about them visible disabilities, right? Like having a student in a wheelchair or something that's very obvious, like a visual impairment may be somewhat easy. But when it comes to other disabilities, like learning disabilities or emotional dysregulations or mental illnesses, it becomes quite a touchy area. How do you deal with that? I'm so glad you brought that up, Savita. So our curriculum is divided up into eight categories of disability. That's how we categorize our resources. Mm-hmm. And whenever I meet with a new school, they immediately want to start teaching the invisible disabilities, the ones that aren't obvious when you look at somebody. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of advise the school not to start there. Um, that you really need to start with the visible disabilities because 
students are more naturally able to empathize with and understand the, the apparent strengths and needs of someone with a more visible or concrete disability opposed to those more invisible disabilities. So the first piece of advice I always give to schools is start with the visible disabilities. Even if they're not apparent in your classroom, mm -hmm. start by educating students around those and building the language around, you know, person first and how we discuss these concepts. And then from there, you can springboard into the more invisible disabilities. Um, rather than starting with the more abstract invisible disabilities and then trying to backtrack to the visible concrete disabilities. Um, I think the other piece too is that we have to help students understand that the invisible disabilities really serve uh, on a spectrum, that there's a range. And the more that we can help students think about and, and really broaden there, I think that's really what it is, Savita. It's broadening a student's perspective of what disability is. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, I'll ask you know folks to close their eyes and think about you know what image do they think of when they hear the word disability, and most people respond that they you know think of someone in a wheelchair or they think of the. Um, disability parking placard, right? Like they were conditioned to think of disability in a very tangible, visible, physical way. And so it's really about helping students broaden their understanding of disability into a much broader spectrum. Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I, I love that. So starting with something more concrete and then helping them to take perspectives and then and then slowly bring in the other subtler differences. Got it. Okay. So who, when you take your program to schools, who are the ones implementing it? Who plays an active role in getting this going? Is it the admins? Is it the, um, the, the teachers, gen ed, special ed? Who usually takes on... Um, implementing the curriculum, Sam? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And unfortunately, there's no simple answer. You know, I, mm -hmm. as I said earlier, we really work in partnership with every school. And I, and I recognize that each school community really is its own microcosm, has its own culture, has its own way of doing things. Um, mm -hmm. so there's some schools where we work with the administrators um, and they think about the way that they want to implement it school-wide. Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of schools that are, it, it kind of depends too, with the social emotional learning realm, we tend to work a lot with um, school counselors. A lot mm -hmm. of schools that have SEL coaches or um, behavior coaches, and they're the ones that oftentimes are our point of contact around the social emotional learning work. Um, when it comes to the disability awareness work, um, oftentimes it could be a, uh, you know, an SLP, an OT, a special educator. Um, a lot of schools now have kind of a DEI committees, diversity, equity, and inclusion committees. Um, and so sometimes it's working with kind of a small subset of educators within the school community that are really focused um, on bringing programs like this into their school. 
So I would say it really varies school by school, honestly, in terms of who who is the engaged member, who is the the leader mm-hmm. in the school to, to to bring programs like this in. Okay. Okay. So when you take the program to schools, I mean, I'm sure you're talking about it to a lot of people. What are what is what are the greatest challenges that you face to getting it accepted and um, there's kind of two things. There's the, I, I, I would say that, that there's kind of two answers. There's the mindset challenge, um, and then there's the logistical challenge. So in terms of the mindset, you know, some schools are very open to this. Um, other schools, this really pushes their comfort zone. Um, they're uncertain. They have hesitancy around, you know, why would we do this? Why is it important? Are we going to get pushback? Again, focusing on the negative outcomes rather than the positive. Um, mm-hmm. So for some schools, you know, I have to spend a lot of time helping to educate uh, school faculty and school leaders around the rationale of this work, the uh, data that supports this work, and the positive outcomes, and really helping to shift the mindset of educators and school leaders um, into this. Um, mm-hmm. Once that occurs, um, and in some schools, the, the mindset is already there when I engage with them, then it's the logistical. And, I, and I'm sure you know, as someone who works in schools, mm-hmm. time, 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 there's never enough time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's really, you know, one of the things that I stress about our program is that this is customizable. We are providing this a la carte menu, and we want it to fit into what you're already doing. We don't want to add things to your plate. We want to look at your plate and look to where we can supplement or seamlessly integrate these resources into what you're already doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so again, sometimes schools just need a little support. They need some examples of how they could do this that I can share from other schools Mm -hmm. to help them really think about how this can be integrated in, in a meaningful, seamless way without overwhelming or adding more work to um, someone's already really full plate. Yeah, that's that's what I loved about using your program because those lessons are so easy to pull out and I can spend five minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes talking about a particular disability and, and just giving them that experience, that perspective. So I, I think that's beautiful. When I did my um, program in my previous school site that's exactly what we did we just did an intro lesson to about autism and then we started our program after that so i think that made a beautiful a very very nice way to um introducing this to um the janet students great so um any any aha moments along the way that you have to share when you go around to schools i'm sure you have a lot of oh my gosh <laughs> <yes>. experiences <laughs> i think we could do podcast number three where i could just share all of the different experiences <laughs> um uh, i guess one that really jumps to mind is the way that this work empowers both gen ed students and students with disabilities and really the universality in the positive benefits and outcomes for everybody. Um, 
And so I'm thinking about one school in particular that implemented the program. And uh, towards the end of the school year, uh, a student, I think he was maybe fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere in there, who had some very obvious um, visible challenges, decided mm -hmm. that he was so empowered by this work that he wanted to give a school-wide presentation to his entire K-8 school about his life journey and his disability. And um, I had the privilege of being able to visit the school in person on the day of this event and watching this young man up on stage sharing about his disability that everybody noticed because it was so obvious, but him being so articulate and vulnerable at, you know, 11 years of age. And then afterwards, um, coming down from the stage and, you know, uh, cruising around the, uh, the school gym in his wheelchair and mm -hmm. having kids, you know, little kids come up to him and talk to him in a way that they never had. Some of the eighth graders come up to him and, you know, giving him a high five or patting him on the shoulder mm -hmm. and just kind of the, uh, the, how positive that whole experience was, not just for this individual student in boosting his self-confidence, his um, advocacy skills, his sense of purpose and sense of belonging in the school, but mm -hmm. just kind of the impact it had on the entire school community. That's wonderful. Positive visibility, right? You probably exactly. Have, they, they may have seen him all along, but didn't know who he was. <laughs> and then now knowing who he he was and then interacting with him that way is probably interesting. And, and that's where we want to be, right? So, okay. So, um, Sam, when it comes to inclusion of students with extensive support needs, you know, with multiple disabilities, it is a great challenge in schools, right? And it's old news that even students with severe disabilities greatly benefit from being placed in inclusive classrooms in multiple ways, including academic learning. However, half of the students with intellectual or multiple disabilities spend less than 40% of their day in inclusive settings. And, and this is from the latest uh, U.S. Department of Education's um, annual report to the Congress on the implementation of IDEA. So segregation is still pretty huge in education. And a recent study quotes that the placement of students with severe disabilities has remained quite stagnant in the past 10 years. So in your experience, how are schools taking efforts to include students and what do they perceive as least restrictive environment? You know, it's, it's sometimes a self-contained classroom is well accepted in that school as the least restrictive environment when somebody else can argue that it's absolutely not. So what is your experience on that? You know, I, I, one of the things that I'm so fortunate with this job, Savita, is that I have the opportunity to connect with and work with such a diverse array of schools. Um, from, you know, large urban schools to small rural schools to schools that serve, you know, lower socioeconomic populations to serve that, you know, schools that serve higher socioeconomic populations. So I think I feel lucky that I've been able to kind of observe, visit and engage with such an array of schools and seen so many different examples of inclusion being done um, 
in a way that I think is really authentic and inclusion in a way that uh, I think it's kind of a push to say that it's inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say <clears throat> overall, you know, I really like to think about um, authentic inclusion versus inclusion. And that it's very easy for a school to say that they are inclusive uh, of students with disabilities uh, rather than a school to say they are authentically inclusive. So I'll give you an example, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I've been to schools where in a general ed classroom, there is a student with a disability, but they are at their desk in the corner of the classroom, surrounded by bookshelves, working with their one-on-one all day. Um, I have a really hard time saying that that is true authentic inclusion, but yet a school might argue that, yeah, the student is physically included in the classroom. And so um, one of the things that I found really helpful for schools is unpacking inclusion into three different pillars or components. And the three different pillars or components that we that we talk a lot about is academic inclusion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ensuring that students with disabilities are included within the academics and equal access to academic opportunities. Mm-hmm. Physical inclusion, so not just being in the same classroom, but considering the lighting, the noises, the seating arrangement, right? Like, what are all of the ways that we can ensure that all five senses Um, and a part of the classroom experience are inclusive, are providing a a welcoming opportunity for students to be there rather than um, an exclusive opportunity, as well as social inclusion, creating a socially inclusive school climate and culture where students feel a sense of belonging. Um, And I think unpacking it in that way can really help schools that maybe are really struggling with inclusion because I think inclusion can feel very overwhelming and large. But when Mm -hmm. we compartmentalize it into those three pillars, Mm -hmm. I think schools can start to really think about, okay, so what are a couple things we could do to make our school more academically or physically or socially inclusive? That is is such good insights to our listeners to hear this because um, it really unwraps inclusion to them. So how did you go about building the curriculum that you have right now over the years? Who does it? Yeah, so it's been a long journey. You know, we've been at this for seven years. And as you know, I think you you saw our curriculum at one of its infancy stages. Um, and now we've got, you know, thousands of pieces of curricular resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I really did um, in creating the curriculum is taken a, <clears throat> a very um, collaborative approach. And I think that's a theme that you've heard me talk a lot about today mm-hmm. is collaboration and partnerships and working together. And so, you know, I came up with the big idea for the curriculum, kind of how we wanted to categorize resources, the types of resources that we wanted to include. Um, and then what I did is I searched and found people that had expertise in these areas and not just people who had expertise in these areas, but also people who had current real world teaching experience. Mm -hmm. I think there's 
oftentimes there's so many curriculums out there and the people who write those curriculums are people who maybe never taught, maybe taught decades ago. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I hear often from teachers and educators using our resources is that it's so apparent that teachers have written them. Mm-hmm. And it's so important that the resources are teacher friendly. Mm-hmm. And so what we did is we kind of came up with, you know, what's the framework, you know, these eight categories of disability, these five domains for social emotional learning, making sure that there's a real plethora of resources from, you know, writing prompts to art projects, to videos, to books, mm-hmm. to more traditional lesson plans. Um, and then finding individuals who have expertise in the areas that have real world teaching experience to help create the content. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's so good. That's very, very nice to know. So, um, Sam, my almost last question is, say you get a million dollars in donation, how would you see yourself spending it? Oh, well, that would be a dream, you know? (laughs) Changing Perspectives is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And, you know, we charge a very nominal fee to schools for our programming. And we really are offset by our philanthropic support. Um, I think one of the big things right now is, you know, we've spent the last seven years really building the program. And now we really want to scale it up. You know, we've collected data. We know it makes an impact. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if we got a million dollar donation, we would be able to bring our programming to so many more schools, um, Mm -hmm. inspire more educators um, to take this on, educate parents on the importance of this and really help students today be the change makers of inclusion for tomorrow. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if it's, there are so many schools out there, so many schools, and just even the marketing, just being able to take it to people takes a lot of effort and energy, right? So I, I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly um, money well spent donating to <laughs> changing perspectives. <laughs> so, and I'll, yeah, I'll just put a plug that, uh, that we do have a, a, a way to donate right through our website mm-hmm. um, and that I'm also always willing to, to set up a, a meeting with anyone who wants to dis- discuss more how they could support the work of our organization. That's great. And, and the best way to reach you would be your email? Yeah, my email is uh, sam at cpne.org. Um, our website is www.changingperspectivesnow.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and my email is also listed there as well as phone number and other ways to reach out. Perfect. And I'm going to put all that in the show notes. So um, our listeners can always go to that and get the information. So Sam, disability awareness is certainly a very important and a must have to authentic inclusion. And I'm so honored to be part of your journey in sowing the seeds for a better future. So what are your final words of wisdom that you want to leave to our listeners before we end? I think my final words of wisdom is this works. Disability awareness empowers all students. It changes the lives of of, of students with and without disabilities. It empowers educators to learn more about their diverse school population. Um, It really does work. We just have to 
kind of push ourselves a little bit, maybe outside of our comfort zones um, and try it. That's great. Thank you, Sam. Thanks so much for having me back on your show, Savita. Mm-hmm.